I'm Shelley Schlender. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, June 18th, 2019. Coming up, we'll investigate a mystery. Why does yeast eat sugar sometimes to make ethanol only to, well, spit the ethanol out? Clues come from a perspective that's normally not considered part of biology. It's the laws of thermodynamics. I hope that my fellow scientists would see, yeah, even though that I'm not working with yeast, but yes, the laws of thermodynamics also apply to my organism, yeah. We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. Worldwide, the U.S. ranks number one for tornadoes and number two for hail. That's a lot of stormy weather, and it turns out the number one state for tornadoes and hail is Colorado, eastern Colorado. Now CSU researcher Sam Childs reports that we can expect more severe storms and larger hail. One reason why is that as the climate warms, the freeze line high up in the atmosphere for making hail goes higher, giving hailstones more time to accumulate ice before they reach the ground. So, anyone ready for a future filled with baseball-sized hail? On the science calendar, this Thursday, NCAR, the National Center for Atmospheric Research, invites you to the first-ever annual Paul Crutzen Lecture Series. Crutzen was a director at NCAR who coined the term Anthropocene to describe human-caused climate change, opportunities, and extinctions. Australian climate scientist Will Steffen will kick off the lecture series by discussing how we humans might still positively influence what the future holds for the Anthropocene. The lecture takes place at NCAR's beautiful Mesa Lab at the top of Table Mesa Drive. Thursday's lecture starts at 7 p.m. You're tuned to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Shelley Schlender. When yeast cells eat sugar and then give off ethanol, it helps us make yeast breads and beer. But why would yeast work so hard to metabolize sugar simply to spit it out as ethanol? This is a mystery that Matthias Heinemann is trying to figure out. Heinemann is a professor of molecular systems biology at the University of Groningen in the Netherlands. His experiments indicate that yeast spits out ethanol to protect the yeast from metabolic overload. Heinemann has figured out how to predict when this will happen, but not through the perspective of conventional biology. Heinemann seeks clues about metabolism by applying some scientific laws that are best known for explaining machines and engines. They're the laws of thermodynamics. Here's more. Matthias Heinemann, what do you do? I'm a professor for molecular systems biology. I do biology and I use thermodynamics. Thermodynamics is a fundamental law. Biology has to obey the laws of thermodynamics. Not everybody believes that. As a scientist, I would definitely say the cell has to obey the laws of physics, has to obey the laws of thermodynamics. You recently did a study where you applied the laws of thermodynamics to explain a mystery. It was a microorganism that we call yeast that you can use to bake bread 
and it may fear. And it makes this thing called ethanol, which yes. it doesn't use itself. It takes in energy and then it makes it into something new called ethanol. So yes. you were wondering, why does yeast go to the trouble of yes. taking in energy, not using it for itself, and instead turning it into ethanol? Yes. So it takes up food, in this case glucose, and it only uses this glucose molecule partly, and it dumps it only used half as ethanol. Takes in a lot of sugar, glucose. Yes. That's yes. what yeast likes to eat. And after it does that, it uses some to repair itself and have the energy to make more yeast babies, divide and... Absolutely. But it goes through all this work and it also has some of this energy that it transforms into a new product called ethanol. And then it yes. basically spits it out. It spits it out, used only partly. And then you could ask yourself a single-celled organism that only survives if it makes more of itself with the amount of food that it has, why would it be so wasteful in dumping out part of the carbon molecule that it has used in an unused way as ethanol? It does seem very wasteful for this little yeast cell to waste yes. all the work it did of eating and then making something that it's not going to use. Yes, and, and the more fascinating thing is actually that it's not only this yeast cell that does that, but it's some other bacteria, other single-celled organisms that do the same. And it's even more striking that cells in our body can do the same. And the cells in our body are not producing ethanol, but they're producing another, we call it byproduct. And this happens, for instance, in, in, in cancer cells. So it seems that if we look across organisms, yeah, microorganisms, but also cells in our body, occasionally cells can do this very wasteful metabolism. This wasteful metabolism had then led us to think, is there a very basic explanation? And what could be more basic than going back to the basic laws of thermodynamics? You better explain the laws of thermodynamics now. What are the basic laws? Well, energy is conserved. So we convert the same amount of energy from here to there. But the quality of the energy that we, that we get will only get worse. So the first law that you're mentioning is that when energy comes in, you can't make more energy out of it. You yes. have to use what you take in. The second law is that some of the energy never gets used efficiently. It doesn't go into work. Yes. Instead, yes. it gets wasted in this thing called so, entropy. Yes. So every time we do a conversion, the useful energy that we get from the products would be less and less because we're, every time we're, we're generating entropy. So the quality of the energy will get less and less. You fuel up your car, you convert this energy to motion, your car gets you from A to B, but at the same time, you generate friction on your wheels. This will lead to heat, and that is part of the less useful forms of energy. Some of the energy is always unuseful, and in a car, for instance, there's the heat generated by the wheels touching the surface of the road. That's not useful exactly. energy. There's the heat yeah. and pollution generated by an engine, especially if it's not working efficiently. Energy, you can't have it go 100% into useful work. Some yes. of it has to just turn into something called entropy. Exactly. Entropy is what always wins. Yeah. One more part of this law of thermodynamics is that when you have 
this working stuff, some of it's always going to be wasteful stuff that you can't use. And you don't want that inside your engine. You want it to go someplace else. There has to yes. be a cool spot or a spacious place that the entropy will naturally flow to so that it doesn't get stuck inside the engine. Yes. Yeah. So in the cell, there's now energy conversion is happening. We use these glucose molecules, make new cells, and this is conversion of energy. And in this conversion of energy, we actually produce entropy, and this needs to go somewhere. And what we have now found in our work that apparently the operation of all these chemical reactions in a cell, the rate with which this can happen is limited by the rate with which the cell can get rid of these unuseful forms of energy. So we do this too. When we eat, we don't just eat and it all turns into something that's useful inside of us. We have a way that our bodies excrete. Yeah, if you just look at our, we have a body temperature, right? This is also originally came from, from the food that we ate, which warms up our body. But this is unuseful energy that we get rid of. So heat is one of the entropic energies that our body produces. Yes. Okay, so that's how our bodies work. Yeah. And you're saying yeast is the same way? Yeast obeys the laws of thermodynamics, what we discussed before. Every time we convert energy, we produce entropy. When we eat, we produce entropy. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, got it. Because according to the laws of thermodynamics, every time we convert energy, and eating is actually converting energy, we produce entropy. And then what you found with your yeast is that there's a way to measure what's going to happen. We have quantified this energy conversion in these cells, and we have quantified of how much they would produce entropy. And the remarkable thing is that we have found these yeast cells would never exceed a certain rate of submitting entropy to the environment, of transferring entropy to the environment. So that was a finding that we made that there's apparently an upper limit at which these yeast cells can operate their energy conversion. Just like think about a machine, you would buy a machine in the US, which is used to be fed with 110 volts and you come to Europe and plug it in our power plugs, this machine would probably run so hard that it would probably overheat and break. Oh, because you have those 220 volts. Because we have the 220, yeah, exactly. Like a machine that one, once you look at, at the small prints at your operational menu, you know you must not run it harder than uh, at a certain rate. And apparently cells, yeast cells in this case, cannot operate their energy conversion that they need to do in order to stay alive, cannot run this harder than a certain upper rate. Oh, would they get too hot? So our first thought also was that producing entropy is connected with generating heat. So that's what we first thought, that eventually small microorganisms, they would inside themselves, they would get too warm. And if they would get too warm, the cellular functioning, the enzymes that are there, the proteins might get destroyed. That's what we thought. So if yeast worked too hard and got too hot from the food it was eating, it would it would die. That's what we thought in the first place. With doing some calculations, it turns out that a yeast cell is too small. It's present in, a, in an unlimited bath of water. So this heat would just be gone away. Oh, that's right. That third law of thermodynamics, that if it was just a problem of heat, there's plenty of places that are cooler for it to send the energy to. So yeah. theoretically, it could 
get rid of all of the excess heat it needed to. Yeah. So, so this is still a bit of a puzzle for us. And we have some ideas that we're now currently following up on what this really could mean. I hope that it will lead us to a complete new understanding of how the inner working of cells actually happens. But this is still a bit of science fiction at the moment. Well, let's talk about what you have learned. There's a middle step where it's yes. not the yeast sending everything out as heat that it doesn't need. Instead, it you makes know, something else called ethanol. Yes. Glucose comes in at a certain rate into a cell. The cell is, is metabolizing this glucose or is breaking it down. So all little energy conversions. And it now feels, oh, I'm converting so much energy at the moment. I'd rather not fully break down this glucose molecule. I'd rather just dump it before things get bad. Apparently, these, yeast, these organisms have learned, okay, I should now not further break down this molecule because otherwise things get too messy. And then they dump it, they dump the glucose molecules half used in the form of ethanol. Ethanol, which is how we get beer and how we get wine. Yes, that's how we get beer and wine. Of course, the brewers have additional tricks to further convince these microorganisms to produce beer. They remove the oxygen and then the yeast has no other way to survive. But it's still striking that in the presence of oxygen, that yeast cell still produces ethanol. And that, that has been puzzling scientists for an extremely long period of time. That's right. When you make beer or wine, you put a cork on it so that yes. it has to ferment. But even in the presence of plenty of oxygen, the yeast hits a point where they've been gobbling up the sugar. And they yes, go, that's yes. it. I can only take this halfway through. I can't make more baby yeast. I can't repair my cells. I'm getting more yes. trouble trying to process this sugar than I'd be if I just accept the fact that it's time to spit it out. Yes, yes, exactly. And that's how you get extra ethanol that way. Yeah. Yeah, and this is just because the, the yeast has to obey the laws of thermodynamics. It's the thermodynamics <laughs> again. You're talking about biology in the sense of physics, and it's a different way of looking at the world. And you actually think that there's an equation that can help you predict at one point the yeast, when it's gobbling up sugar, will say, that's it. I have to stop trying to use this to make my body better or make babies. And it's time for me to just spit this stuff out. Yes, so, so that is now on a very global level how we observe this, how we can apply the laws of thermodynamics to make computational predictions. But of course, cells are so complex, they need to have mechanisms to sense when the rates of entropy production are now very high. You know? So they need to have ways so that they know, okay, now it's time to open up my safety valve for spitting out. It's a safety valve. And so they don't have a red light and an alarm system that goes off, but they've got some kind of a measure that lets them know, now's the time that I will survive better as a cell if I don't try to hoard this stuff in its sugar form, but instead yeah. if I spit it out. Yeah, like the old steam engines were water to boil. And there were also safety valves that sort of opened once the pressure was too high. And, and I think something like this, when, when the rates of energy conversions are too high, then cells' safety valve opens, meaning that they spit out food molecule that is half used. Because if they would further process this, things would get bad. They would get worse for the cell. Yes. Well, these silly yeast cells, why did they eat too much in the first place? Well, apparently, if sugar comes into the cell, then they first process this sugar in the most efficient way to get most 
uh, yeast babies out of it, if I stick with, with your language. But then now as we're increasing the rate of food uptake, then they rewire, they're working, yeah, they start to spit out the ethanol, but this gives them still a bit of an advantage of still being able to make new baby yeast cells less efficient, but still gives them an advantage. Okay, so there's a reason that they don't just say I'm full because it's actually more efficient for them to keep taking in energy yes. and using yes. the part that's most quickly usable. It's more efficient Absolutely. for them to use the most available part of the sugar energy for repairing their cells and making babies and stuff, and then spit out the part that's excessive. I could not have summarized this in any better way. Oh, you could have, but you let me <laughs> do it just now. So in any event, you said that there's this equation that's well known in thermodynamics called the Gibbs equation? That's something that Mr. Gibbs a long time ago invented and he came up with the terms of the Gibbs energy and the Gibbs energy describes the useful forms of energy. Okay, so it's a way to do a calculation that yes. predicts when the useful form of energy will reach its threshold and a cell will say, that's it, I'm going to spit out the rest of what I've been doing. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good for Mr. Yeah, sorry, Gibbs. If you have our tank filled with gas and we convert this into kinetic energy, then in this conversion, the Gibbs energy would always go down, meaning that the, with every conversion, we get less and less useful energy. And this is what a concept of Mr. Gibbs. That's pretty cool that you proved that this is an equation that applies to this situation of yeast deciding when to spit out ethanol instead of using it. But you said that it applies to other things. Before you start talking about what you think it applies to, may I share with you what I wondered about? Sure. Well, I wondered about the idea that we as humans are in this time in the world where a lot of people are obese and they're gaining weight in a way that nobody really expected. And there's one theory that says that people gain weight because we're all designed to store weight in case we ever encounter a famine. Well, that's never really made sense to me, because if that was the case, then you would expect people when they're very young to be as fat as possible to survive because you need people to survive to reproduce. And you really wouldn't expect people as they get older to keep getting fatter because they're not going to be making babies, so they don't need as much fat. What if instead these poor cells inside of our bodies, if they get too much energy, they go, oh my gosh, we can't send it out just as heat. Let's store it in an intermediate place called fat. This is really not my field of expertise, but you know, in a way, the, the nutrients that are being taken up are then not excreted, but they're also not metabolized, but taken away as fat. So, so in a way, um, without having thought about this too much, I at least can follow your argument. Because sugar, if you just poured a lot of sugar into a cell, you would kill the cell. A cell has more stability if it converts it into something else, and a lot of that gets used for energy. But even if it doesn't get used for energy, it's more stable if you package it in some other things, yeah. which is true yeah. probably for yeast when it turns it into ethanol. Yeah. Who knows? We're playing with thoughts here. But you've been playing yeah. with thoughts in this in terms of cancer. Tell me about that. It's striking to see that if cells in our body, and this is what, what cancer cells do, they take up glucose at an extremely high rate. Cancer cells, and this is long known, almost 100 years, cancer cells do a very peculiar metabolism where they spit out another chemical that's called lactate. It's very similar to ethanol 
all and cancer cells do that also when they consume lots of glucose at the same time. So this is highly similar to what we saw in this, this baker's yeast. Just the loss of thermodynamics, as we stated at the beginning, needs to hold for everything. The loss of thermodynamics also holds to cells in our body, holds to, to cancer cells. And it could be that this peculiar metabolic phenotype, we call it, is also just because of the cancer that is now taking up glucose at a high rate, spits out this lactate because they, it would otherwise harm themselves uh, too much if they would further process this unused molecule. When we're exercising and our muscles produce lactate, could that be because it hits that Gibbs point? But that could also have been because there's then a lack of oxygen that then also forces the cells to produce lactate, just like the beer brewer also brews beer in the absence of oxygen. That's right. If my muscles get sore after I exercise, it's because I ran out of breath. Yes, and I yes. wasn't able to breathe in enough oxygen. That has a lot to do with my muscles getting sore. And that was actually, for in, in the cancer field, was for a long time people thought that cells would make lactate because there would be a lack of oxygen. And that's why these cancer cells would produce lactate. But it has been shown that this is not the case. And what we offer, that it could be due to the loss of thermodynamics, due to the fact that also these cancer cells operate their metabolism with a safety valve. With a safety valve and any other process in the body that is a high energy use process um, that makes lactate, it may be partly a safety valve, especially if it's in the presence of oxygen. Well, yes. cancer is intriguing to you. How come? Why is cancer intriguing to you? Of course, we all know someone in the family who had suffered from this horrible disease. But furthermore, as being a very fundamental scientist, interested in the very fundamentals, and uh, you started this interview with stating uh, that thermodynamics could be fundamentals uh, of what biology has built on. Being a very fundamental scientist, uh, we're sometimes, particularly nowadays, very forced, very often forced to show to society what the relevance of our work is. And of course, if we link it to something like cancer, a broader public audience would always think, oh, yeah, this must be relevant. How could it help us to have this relevant thing called looking at how our cells metabolize and spit things out in a new way? I hope that my fellow scientists would see, yeah, even though that I'm not working with yeast, but yes, the laws of thermodynamics also apply to my organism, yeah? If I'm a plant biologist, then also plants need to obey the laws of thermodynamics. That, that I hope that I can convince my fellow scientists to say, yes, what would they have found in yeast or in, in microorganisms should actually also apply to other organisms. But I hope that this will be picked up and will be insightful for, for my colleagues as well. Matthias Heinemann, it sounds like you want to turn on a light bulb that sheds light in a new way of thinking about this and see what other scientists find out. Yes, no, I, I think that is sort of a de desire that, that, that sits in, in every scientist uh, that, that you will aim to uncover something that is useful for mankind, that is useful for your colleagues and your colleagues build up upon. I, I think that is what keeps us awake and keeps us going. All right, so we've just had an interview where we have not talked about a miraculous new drug that's being made uh, to, to cure cancer or cure any other disease that you can think of. We have not talked about creating a brand new engine that does something different. We have not talked about a better way to make wine or beer, but we've talked about something more fundamental about 
how these processes might work at their very most basic level. And that might guide people in a new direction. That's what I hope very much, yes. What are your fellow scientists saying about what you're doing? I think I had a bit of a, an unconventional career. I got my PhD in engineering, my undergrad in engineering, and sort of moved gradually into biology because I was really fascinated about life. I approach biological problems still with the thoughts of an engineer. I'm always looking for the simple answer because I think I'm not very good in memorizing detail and biology is full of detail. So I'm always looking for the simple thing. Sometimes I feel in biology, we don't see the forest anymore because of all the trees. What I experience is that colleagues who are open-minded, who, uh, who are open or not, very, not, not too dogmatic, they start to, they appreciate this. But of course, there's also colleagues who are interested in a single protein with this particular mechanism, and they have a bit of difficulty with thermodynamics. That's something that I had in high school and never understood, yeah? Like, like this type of attitude. Um, I, I see everything. I'm a great believer in simplicity. Well, evolution is great, what evolution has brought about, but I sometimes feel that, that it would help us if we look a bit more fundamental, biology has to obey the laws of thermodynamics. If they're right, then biology has to obey them. Do you think that evolution obeys the laws of thermodynamics? I think so, yeah. But evolution can explore in terms of possibilities then, that are then being tried out and subjected to selection. These possibilities that are offered, that are being generated, they also need to obey the laws of thermodynamics. Yeah? Or have you ever seen an, an egg sunny side up to go back? Oh, to go back to being an egg? I have not seen an egg that's sunny side up suddenly form back into an egg. It's not possible. That's because of the laws of thermodynamics. Yep. <laughs> well, thank you for helping us start to crack this puzzle about how to predict when yeast will decide to turn the energy it's taking in into ethanol and then spit it out, and to imagine some of the possibilities for what that line of thinking might lead to. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Matthias Heinemann is a professor of molecular systems biology at the University of Groningen in the Netherlands. His experiments indicate that yeast makes ethanol to protect the yeast from metabolic overload. Heinemann's paper on this topic is An Upper Limit on Gibbs Energy Dissipation Governed Cellular Metabolism. It's been published in Nature Metabolism. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Joel Parker. This week's show was produced and engineered by me. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Secret Observatory, a song called Entropy. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Shelley Schlender.